Central Division Hockey, the podcast, presents a team overview of the 2021 season for all eight of the teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22. This standalone edition is for the Chicago Blackhawks, a look back at our after-training camp prediction versus how the team did, team milestones, individual award nominees and winners, retirements, hirings, firings, if applicable, as well as the team grades for the GM and head coach and the players by position. Before we begin the on-ice look at Chicago's overview of last season, Chicago have hired a former federal prosecutor to lead an independent review of the sexual assault allegations against former video coach Brad Aldridge in 2010, a story that came to light following the regular season. The postseason Chicago was eliminated from. The best coverage of that ongoing review and more specific details can be found from other quality media sources. Likewise, I can't offer additional information that isn't already available. It's serious, and it involves one of the teams the podcast covers, so not to acknowledge it also is a disservice to listeners. How that review is completed and what the NHL determines as a course of action following it is not something to speculate on, but better left to the outcome of the facts when that becomes known and also is hopefully publicly made available. Welcome to the 2021 season year-end team podcast for the Chicago Blackhawks presented by Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. We begin with the podcast after training camp prediction, seventh in the Discover Central Division, the actual regular season results, 55 points, sixth in the Discover Central Division. Postseason, Chicago missed the playoffs after a round one loss in 2020. It's the third time in four years Chicago has missed the playoffs. One thing that affected the predictions was how little I watched the teams traditionally in the Eastern Conference that make up five of the eight teams in the Discover Central this past year. It's not the lone reason I didn't get it right, but certainly I'm not sure too many people picked Columbus to finish last in the regular season in the Discover Central as another key reason. That effectively moved Chicago and Detroit up a spot from 7th and 8th respectfully. Otherwise, the Chicago finish held to the pre-prediction rather well, and it was for the expected reasons it did. Chicago went with no proven NHL starting goalie, spent close to nothing on goaltending, and missed the playoffs with an otherwise promising young group mixed with quality vet leadership. The disappointing outcome was only avoidable if a goalie played above the expected career path that he was on to date. They collectively were on the trajectory to have. Who it's really disappointing for is for the quality of talent positionally throughout the rest of the roster and the fans were having to sit through watching it. If you want a formula for intentionally tanking, the 2020-21 Chicago team is a good template based on their decision in net. Now, I know you're going to say, but Chicago was a playoff team for part of the season. That's true. There is more risk in offense before the teams buckle down into the more defensive system playoff style of play. Chicago had a crest or wave to win in the regular season above expectation with less than adequate net minding. When the game shifted in the second half of 
of the season, as it naturally does, to the emphasis on better defensive play. So, too, did Chicago's playoff drive, with the fourth and last playoff spot of the available four only dangling realistically at that point in the Discover Central. It isn't any surprise it was Nashville, the team that had the most above-average goaltending of the teams vying for it after the top three lock spots that were Florida, Carolina, and Tampa Bay in the Discover Central. It was Nashville who snagged the final spot. It shouldn't surprise you. Was Chicago an overall better team? Offensively, yes, they were, but in net, they weren't even close. And to be sure, GM Stan Bowman knows what's required to build a Stanley Cup winner. For that matter, what's required to be a playoff team minimally. A rebuild isn't about winning, it's about high draft picks because you aren't winning. Chicago could have been a playoff team with adequate goaltending. It was a conscious decision not to have any. Furthermore, the direction of using an NHL team as a farm team or development tool is what we watched Chicago do this past year. That's what Rockford, the AHL team, is for, not the Chicago team, and can say lately they have not had too much success in recent years graduating prospects from the actual farm team in Rockford to the National Hockey League. I really considered only the Ottawa Senators up to this season as the NHL's equivalent farm team to develop players for other NHL teams when they are too cheap to resign them. Chicago actually has a championship pedigree of veterans that are now mere dominoes meant to be building the team back up around. That's the next misstep in all this. Corey Crawford and no actual replacement was the warning sign. Chicago, to me, is doing this intentionally, and that's what upsets me the most. This team, I did want to have a better fate for this past season, if not for the lack of having an actual NHL starting goalie. I wanted to be right that it would leave this team out of the playoff mix. I was, point proven. However, in watching the rest of the team compete during the season, I didn't like being right. The veterans Kane and Keith working with a cast of forwards and defense that achieved quite a bit, yet were continually limited in their success by minor league goaltending all year. Team Milestones, Patrick Kane, 32, had several career notables this past season. He picked up his 400th career goal February 28th versus Detroit, becoming the 100th skater in NHL history to reach the mark, the 4th Chicago player and 9th U.S.-born player to reach the milestone as well. March 10th, Kane played his 1,000th NHL game versus Dallas. A season ago, Kane had reached the 1,000-point mark. This season, Kane also passed Joe Mullen and Keith Kachuk on the all-time U.S.-born player point list and is currently recognized recognized by the NHL as the fourth all-time with only Jeremy Roenick, Phil Housley, and Mike Medano with the most having more. Some non-NHL sites have Brett Hall listed number one. While he did play internationally for the U.S. as a dual citizen, he was born in Belleville, Ontario, and that's probably the reason the NHL has the noted distinction. Factoring if the NHL plays a full 82-game regular season and Kane currently at a 1.06 point-per-game career player, staying healthy it will take Kane two full seasons and 56 games to surpass Hall's total. That's a mere 17 points, more than Madano's official 1,374 point total recognizes the most U.S.-born career points all time. It's simply to say Kane is well within reach of that NHL record. 
Retirements. Brent Seabrook, 35, announced his retirement March 5th during the regular season, having played his entire 15-year career with Chicago. He ranks third on the franchise all-time games playlist behind Stan Makita and teammate Duncan Keith. Seabrook was drafted 14th overall in the first round of the 2003 NHL draft by Chicago in his 1,114 regular season career NHL games played. He had 103 goals, 361 assists for 464 points. Seabrook finishes as a three-time Stanley Cup champion, 2010, 2013, and 2015, all with Chicago. In 123 games played in the postseason, he had 20 goals, 39 assists, for 59 points. It includes three overtime game-winning goals, notably his Game 7 Western Conference semifinal eliminating Detroit in 2013, and his Game 4 winner versus Boston in the 2013 Stanley Cup Final. Known for his leadership qualities and serving as an assistant captain during his career at 6-3 Seabrook had size as well as being skilled possessing that rare hard to find two-way game and Seabrook Keith as a top pairing ranks arguably the best D pairing in games played in success in National Hockey League history. Additionally, Seabrook internationally won gold at the 2010 Olympics and the World Junior Championships in 2005 for Canada. Andrew Shaw, 29, announced his retirement after 10 NHL seasons, citing multiple concussions as the main reason. A fifth-round Chicago draft pick in 2011, Shaw was passed on at the NHL draft two years before his 2011 selection. He played seven of his 10 seasons with Chicago and three with Montreal. With Chicago, he played 362 games, had 75 goals, 76 assists for 151 points of his 544 games played, 116 goals, 247 point NHL regular season career totals. He had one 20-goal season in 2013-14 with Chicago and was just shy of it by a goal in 2018-19, his last season in Montreal before returning to Chicago. He finishes a two-time Stanley Cup champion, both with Chicago in 2013 and 2015, notching 16 goals, 35 points, and 67 games played in the postseason with Chicago. The versatile 5'11 right winger played a gritty game while having a scoring touch that helped him carve out a successful NHL career. His last attempted return ended after sustaining another hit last season in a game versus Dallas in February after returning from long-term injured reserve from the year before. 15 minutes, 7 seconds, 14 games played. He had two goals, two assists, four points. Corey Crawford, 36, announced his retirements after 10 seasons in January. Crawford had signed a new two-year $7.8 million deal with New Jersey, but he never played a game for them in 2021 after taking an indefinite leave for personal reasons, then retiring. He had missed 80 games over the last two seasons in Chicago related to concussions, but did return to help Chicago knock off Edmonton in the 2020 play-in playoff series. His 488 career games played were all with Chicago, a career 2.45 goals against average and a .918 save percentage. He finished with a 260 wins, 162 losses, 53 overtime shootout loss record, a two-time All-Star and winner of two William M. Jennings trophies. Also a two-time Stanley Cup champion, both with Chicago in 2013 and 2015, and played 96 postseason games, all with Chicago. He was regarded as one of the league's top goal over the last decade. You're listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and our year-end focus podcast for Chicago. When we return, the first team grades for the 2020-21 season for Chicago.
Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months, now through December 2nd. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. Football is back, and BetMGM is inviting new customers to join the huddle and enjoy the action like never before. Sign up today using bonus code CHAMPION, and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. You'll also have instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, player props, and boosted odds specials. Just download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. The BetMGM app is the perfect way to experience the excitement of wagering on live sports. Now in more markets than ever. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast and our 2020-21 year-end focus podcast for Chicago. For each of the eight teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22, we look back at the GM coach and players and give them a ranking for last season. It's what we call the team grades. About the formula, the GM and coach grades are out of 100. The goaltending is as well for the team. In Chicago's case, they used three goalies, but primarily it was two. Chicago's starter makes up two-thirds of the full grade because of the games played, while the main backup the rest of the the team goalie grade. The defense group mark gives added weight to Chicago's top four and then the remaining bottom pair 35% that I feel best reflects time on ice usage. Seven D-men are graded. Five through seven depth-wise are the bottom pair combined. Keep in mind the teams use six defensemen most often. Chicago did use an 11 forward 7D lineup occasionally this past year. Chicago it was a 12 forward six defensemen set primarily. The forwards were problematic. That's largely due to trades. Janmark's value in Chicago was greater than, say, the remaining games played by Connolly post-deadline. I put Kirby Dock in the top six, but he missed two-thirds of the season due to an injury. I waited more for the top six and less for the bottom six for all the teams. Again, time on ice is why I want the final forward totals to reflect who is on the ice most or least. A player having an off year playing in a team's top six forward group is going to adversely affect the team's overall performance more than that of a fourth liner in minimal minutes would. In Chicago's case, traded away players and who played after affected the forward group total. It's an imperfect system. So in Chicago's case, I have factored in the departures play while they aren't marked because they didn't finish the season in Chicago. The other key based on usage, Keenan Debrinket, with a slew of revolving center icemen, played 20 plus minutes. I have added value to the overall mark for those two playing so much. Different from other teams, however, as I also then looked at lines two through four more evenly than I did with some other teams. There was more balanced time on ice with the forward group after the top line. The final forward grade reflects that as well. Let's begin. GM Stan Bowman. Ultimately, I think I asked myself, was the significance of not having a proven NHL goalie enough to give him a failing grade if everything else from the GM role for the rebuild was otherwise perform well? Brandon Sodwe identified as the team's off-season cap casualty. The return 
a bottom pair defenseman, was a head scratcher. They did add a top nine forward, Matthias Janmark, and two players contract equaled sods. Free agent signing Janmark, as well as Carl Soderberg and Lucas Walmart, were all dealt by the trade deadline. The return was more about the prospects and picks. However, Bowman is on the hook for Brett Connolly's $3.5 million for two more years. There is more to the deal than that, but that's the negative of it. That's an expensive bottom six player for an additional two years. Now, you can't fault the GM for the long-term injured reserve issues that affected the makeup of the team that hindered each position as Seabrook didn't play on D. Notably, Captain Taves was out and Doc missed a lot of time from the Chicago top six. Shaw was re-injured early on and Nylander wasn't available all year from the bottom six as well. Those are all, if healthy, everyday NHL caliber players and you can't plug and play someone else for a better half of that list. Still, if you're a Chicago fan, are you comfortable watching a rebuild that looked like an exercise in an NHL development at the NHL level with two first ballot NHL Hall of Famers in Kane and Keith and a sprinkling of a true NHL-ready caliber player lineup? That's what Bowman provided for his coach to work with. Is a record-setting season of guys scoring their first NHL goals noteworthy or simply the product of how many players were all playing that it was just merely inevitable so many did? To the beginning question, is leaving a key position vacant that you can better address like Bowman should have deserving of a failing grade? Absolutely. Rebuilding doesn't mean you still don't try and do your best to be competitive. Not having an NHL caliber goalie ensures you aren't, and that's what Bowman did knowingly 40 out of 100 head coach jeremy calton when gm bowman's grade is absolutely affected by the goaltending the same thing won't happen for calton interestingly most coaches fates in employment in the nhl are decided by how their goalies perform however i won't fault the coach for the team's net minding options that wasn't his choice. Colton fits nicely as a team rebuilding coach. In spite of the non-NHL caliber goaltending, there was still an effort to win. Colton, for putting players in the position to succeed from a development standpoint, should get full marks. He has what I would describe as a fluidity to line creation that is especially beneficial when your job is essentially spending the year having open auditions throughout your lineup while trying to pick up wins. Full marks for that. At times, from an organ organizational standpoint using a more consistent group probably would have provided for less growing pains Carlton was following the direction given to him from higher up the veterans still mostly saw time on ice reflective to their skill level each and every night although one thing was Keith not quarterbacking the top power play unit as Carlton chose often to try out defensemen in that role especially it seems he wants Boquist in that spot and that was more hit and miss when a proven guy like Keith is sitting on the bench it felt forced that said most nights Carlton has a good feel for what is working and isn't and his adjustments in game to who is playing good and who is having an off night save for the nights it's collectively the whole group he did maximize from the d and forward groups as best he could as i mentioned in the formula the time on ice for lines two through four has more of an even balance in playing time on ice than a top six heavy bottom six drop in minutes you see in a lot of other nhl teams he at times used an 11 forward 76 more than most his contemporaries in a year after Tampa Bay winning had so many other coaches experimenting with it. His MVP player Kane did see the ice and deservedly had an outstanding season for it. The fingerprints of those things are in how Carlton deployed this team. He didn't coach them into the playoffs but he wasn't provided a goalie by his GM to be able to. 70 out of 100. 
notable long-term injury reserve, Jonathan Taves. Recently, Taves 33 shared new info on the illness that sidelined him from play this past season. The captain has chronic immune response syndrome. A quote from the Athletics Mark's Lazarus, Taves said, I have a hard time mentioning the word COVID because then everyone asking about it, and that's going to be the headline. So I'm trying to stay away from that. And I'm not a doctor, but from what I've learned about a lot of these COVID long haulers is that a lot of them had pre-existing conditions or some kind of stress they're dealing with and all of a sudden it's the straw that breaks the camel's back end quote chicago therefore was without its top line center captain and that in combination with kirby doc missing two-thirds of the 2020-21 season because of his hand drastically affected chicago's top six and its talent especially up the middle at center ice alexander nylander underwent knee surgery and missed the season as well at 22 he played a top nine role the season prior and there is top six potential so it was an everyday bottom six loss minimally to the team. Zach Smith, 32, spent the season on LTIR due to a back issue. He would have projected as a bottom six player option. Additionally, the retired Brent Seabrook and Andrew Shaw, the later seeing only 14 games action, otherwise spent the year on the long-term injury reserve list as well. Goaltending. Kevin Lakenin, 301 goals against average, a 909 save percentage, 37 games started, 17 14 and 5 record, two shutouts, 109 goals against. The third Chicago goalie to get his shot in the net ended up being the guy for the remainder of the season. He was the most of the three, and there was no way this team was playoff bound with him in net. His save percentage at the NHL level stayed identical to the year prior, AHL's mark. It's a touch over 900. Playoff bound teams' backups are more at that mark than the starters are. His just over three goals against isn't more than average either, and you still had primarily four NHL-proven defensemen playing in front of him. Does Lankinen get the nod over most NHL team starting goalies from last year? No, he doesn't. 45 out of 100. Malcolm Subban, a 3.20 goals against average, a 900 save percentage, 14 games started, 6-8-1 record, two shutouts, 47 goals against. Maybe because Lankinen's win-loss record had him stay in net more, but Subban, really like his career, played the backup role. I wanted to see him get more than the limited opportunities to play, say, a set of five games in a row, and we never really did see that. Subban's numbers were a touch lower to Lankinen's in both save percentage and goals against average and were near the stats to the year prior when he did actually play more, even in a backup role. Unfortunately for Subban, he has underperformed even in that limited duty as a backup at the NHL level. 40 out of 100. Overall, 43.5 out of 100. GM Stan Bowman said all three would get a chance to prove they could could be an NHL starting goalie, and in fairness, they all played games and proved so far none of them are starting NHL goalies. Yes, I include Lankinen, who played the starting role most in that overall assessment. To me, going into the season without quality NHL caliber goaltending, Chicago would finish near the bottom of the Discover Central and out of the playoffs, and none of these goalies stepped up, and that's where Chicago's season ended up. Goaltending is a key to success in the NHL. The GM invested nothing into it, and yeah, it's a feel-good story if one of the three did have a breakout season, especially Especially when statistically there was nothing to base it on and you miss the playoffs if no one does do that seattle isn't using the draft lottery to select any of these three goalies and if they did that wouldn't be a bad thing ungraded goalie depth colin delia 3.59 goals against average and 902 save percentage five games started one three and one record zero shutouts 20 goals against delia had a bad season start and appeared late with the team eliminated from postseason play the small sample size i won't even grade him for but the 
year for him was as forgettable as the milk carton he must have been on during the middle of the season when we didn't see him at all defense duncan keith 23 minutes 25 seconds time on ice 54 games played four goals 11 assists 15 points 91 block shots a plus minus minus 13 keith's goal production was a goal more than the previous season while his assists total decreased he also played approximately a minute less average time on ice and that was primarily power play time he still led the d group in average time on ice and was second in block shots his plus minus like most chicago players was negative let's keep in mind the drop off in the quality goaltending when looking too much into that overall for the Chicago team. At 37, Keith still was Chicago's best D-man, top pair option, but there was a defensive drop-off this past year. If anything, I still feel Keith has a level up when the postseason begins, and he just knew it was a long shot Chicago would get into those more meaningful games. They didn't, so his elevation in play didn't materialize. 70 out of 100. Connor Murphy, 22 minutes, 9 seconds average time on ice, 50 games played, 3 goals, 12 assists, 15 points, 123 block shots, a plus minus plus one. Murphy had the team lead in block shots by a large margin this past year. The point production was very much in line with the season prior, although it's close to a minute more in average time on ice per game increase for him. The big improvement for Murphy is his defensive play overall this past season and decision making. At 28, he definitely stepped up into a top pair role. Realistically, he is playing at a top four NHL defenseman level, not a top pair level. His current contract, though, made him exceptional value playing a spot positionally above where he would be best suited 68 out of 100 nikita zadaroff 19-12 average time on ice 55 games played one goal seven assists 8.74 block shots plus minus plus one in his first season in chicago and featured more prominently than he was in colorado approximately a minute and a half per game more time on ice he did bring his size led the team in penalty minutes with 36 just one more than murphy did in that metric he did play the most games of all the Chicago D, yet he is the fourth in block shots of the defense group. A drop in point production, he, like Murphy at times, it felt, was asked to play above his best suited spot that I would want to say is just under 18 minutes, fifth spot D-man, like he was in Colorado. At 3.2 million on the Chicago team, he of course should play top four like he did. However, I think what we saw from him is what to expect if he continues to. A slight overvaluation in his pay and in his expected play by the GM, 64 out of 100. Calvin DeHaan, 18-37. Average time on ice, 44. Games played, one goal, nine assists, 10 points, 85 block shots, A plus minus, minus 16. DeHaan's ability to stay healthy is the primary lone drawback to his time with Chicago. His time on ice went from just shy of 20 minutes per game to just over 18 and a half, but he still is consistent when playing. His stats remain comparable when he did play, so he isn't adding offense even with his blistering shot but he is rarely out of position defensively and that's more about his vet and hockey iq than his skating still at five million honestly the big thing to me is that he does play every night to provide full value and that hasn't been the case in chicago it's also become something expected he's going to miss time 60 out of 100 Adam Boquist, 16-59 average time on ice, 35 games played, 2 goals, 14 assists, 16 points, 29 block shots, minus 7, plus minus. 
Boquist missed more time to injury than DeHaan when he did play. As I mentioned, he did see time quarterbacking the top power play unit quite a bit. He does finish first, even in fewer games played, with the point lead for Chicago defensemen. Just remember, eight of the 16 points were on the power play. He saw about 45 second increase per game in average time on ice, and in theory, it ranks him a second under 17 minutes and fifth depth chart wise, although he was often playing top four. He needs to improve his defensive game, but he is only 20 years old. There is going to be more development here with Bolquist that makes him a better two-way defenseman, hopefully. 60 out of 100. Ian Mitchell, 15 minutes, 2 seconds average time on ice, 39 games played, 3 goals, 4 assists, 7 points, 37 block shots, A plus, minus, minus 10. The first look at the NHL level at Mitchell, and it started good, and then he trailed off. The grind of the condensed NHL season for a D-man making the jump from the college level is probably a good explanation. Mitchell just isn't used to the daily grind of the NHL, but will he develop more consistency to be able to do that? That said, as far as his available toolbox skill set, once he does adjust to the NHL grind from college, he really is going to be a capable top four NHL defenseman. The thing is to find a way to shelter him while playing him during his development. He's young, 22. He probably could have played top minutes in Rockford for a season or two instead of being put right onto the big club right away. 55 out of 100. Wyatt Kalanick, 16-16 average time on ice, 21 games played, 4 goals, 5 assists, 9 points, 21 block shots, plus minus minus 6. Kalanick might be the biggest surprise as he wasn't talked about much of the expected D depth to be playing 20 plus NHL games this year. At 24, he is older than a couple of the other prospects and he had 4 goals matching Keith for the team lead for Chicago D-men in a third as many games played. He could be like Zadaroff, a solid fifth defenseman and has offensive potential as he showed. Most likely, he still projects to be a bottom pair NHL guy or a seventh D-man. Essentially, that's what he was asked to do this past year as far as his time on ice, and he showed the signs that he is capable of filling the role. 58 out of 100. Overall, 62.78 out of 100. If you feel I overgraded Keith, his value included the fact he knows what it takes to win. Given Chicago had AHL caliber goaltending, I also decided to be forgiving on plus minus stats that would probably be improved across the board for the defenseman and the team as well with an actual NHL caliber goalie. If you were to take Keith out of the defensive mix, given DeHaan's missing time, there would be a very inexperienced group left. That's an issue. At full health, the team had an NHL caliber top four with Zadaroff playing above his ideal spot, but he can be an NHL regular. The infusion of prospects will include growing pains and adds to the pressure on the vets and Murphy, who really with Zadaroff are the only two in their prime years defensemen on this team last year. The development curve of the top prospects still needs an infusion of NHL caliber D-men, especially if you don't have an NHL-ready goalie. Columbus, by a single goal, only gave up more goals against than Chicago in the Discover Central. That's the reason both teams were bringing up the division's basement. Ungraded defensive depth, Nicholas Bodine, 13-47, average time on ice, 19 games played, 2 goals, 4 assists, 6 points, 21 block shots, plus minus plus 1. It was a tough call not to include Bodine in the graded defensive group. Truthfully, at 21, he should be playing more minutes in Rockford for development than just under 14 at the NHL level and limited bottom pair minutes. Riley Stillman, 15-22, average time on ice, 13 games played, 1 goal, 1 point, 29 block shots, a plus-minus plus 3. Like Bodine, Stillman was under the 20-game played mark with Chicago. However, he did play 21 if we included the games played with Florida before being traded to Chicago. Ideally, this 
is one of two bottom pair or seventh defensemen to allow others to play and develop at the AHL level properly. Lucas Carlson was traded to Florida. 13 minutes, 4 seconds average time on ice, 12 games played, 1 assist, 1.3 block shots, a plus minus plus 1. Carlson went the other way with Walmart in Chicago acquiring defenseman Stillman and forwards Connolly and Hendrick Borgstrom. I liked what I saw from Carlson in limited play before he was traded away. Comparatively to Stillman, Carlson has a quiet steadiness to his game that often goes underappreciated. We'll see how that works out for Chicago. Alex Regula. 12-23, an average time on ice, three games played, no points, three block shots, a plus-minus-minus one. We're what 11 deep of defensemen that played this past year for Chicago now, and I remember Regula vaguely. It's to say, in his limited games played, he didn't stand out in either a positive or a negative way, and there's really nothing wrong with that. Forwards top six, Patrick Kane, 22 minutes, 14 seconds, average time on ice, 56 games played, 15 goals, 51 assists, 66 points, a plus minus, minus seven. Kane was Chicago's MVP. His time on ice went up just shy six seconds of a minute in the regular season from the year prior. He matched his 51 assists, the third most in the NHL this past year, in 14 less games played, shortened schedule from the year before. He did have half as many goals, but it's probably because his line mate DeBrinket was putting them into the back of the net. Kane's leadership by example was also a bright spot and he plays a more complete game now at this point in his career and his skill level is still elite at 32. 90 out of 100. Alex Dabrinkit, 20 minutes, 32 seconds average time on ice, 52 games played, 32 goals, 23 assists, 56 points, a plus minus plus three. With 14 more goals and 14 less games played from the year prior, Chicago's comeback story was Dabrinkit. He took full advantage of top line minutes playing with Kane, average just over three minutes per game from the regular season prior increase. His 32 goals, third most in the NHL, and only one of five players to have scored 30 or more. With nine power play goals, he was the best trigger man for Chicago on the man advantage as well. A dip in assists, but he still had 56 points to go along with Kane to be the two point per game players on the Chicago team. Most notable is to Brinkett and Kane put up the numbers while not playing with a true top center, 87 out of 100. Pius Suter, 16 minutes, 20 seconds, average time on ice, 55 games played, 14 goals, 13 assists, 27 points, a plus minus minus five. Rookie center Suter logged the most average time on ice of all Chicago centers and spent a big chunk of that time up in the top six, but not all of it with the Brinkett and Kane. He, at 25, even though is just now playing in the NHL, not Europe, yet he seems to be on the bubble as to if he really is a top six caliber player. Chicago was weak down the middle, and while Suter had a decent season he caps out to be a second center or more so a third center and when playing with those line mates his limited point production also seemed to disappear and Chicago in full health will have better top six center options that Suter is going to be playing bottom six minutes more going forward 68 out of 100. Dylan Strom 15 minutes 31 seconds average time on ice 40 games played nine goals eight assists 17 points minus 16 plus minus Strom missed time to injury and it's now two years that he is well below playing all the games. He primarily slotted at the second center when he did play. He didn't reach double-digit goals, but would have if he didn't miss 16 games. Yet, he was half a minute down in average time on ice from the year prior, and this season was an opportunity for him to emerge and show he could play top six all the time. He's 24, so he's coming into his prime. There's a lot to like, but it is past the time of potential play to that of realized play that he is getting paid to play 
now. 65 out of 100. Dominique Kubalik, 15 minutes, 31 seconds, average time on ice, 56 games played, 17 goals, 21 assists, 38 points, plus minus, minus three. After a breakout 30-goal campaign and a new contract, Kubalik's production dropped. That both reflects the top six caliber of his line mates he had, but also that he simply didn't finish this past year as much as he did the year before. He played over an additional minute per game time on ice, despite the goal production drop. I don't want to say that Kubalik underperformed as a top six player beyond the point production. He was a good two-way player who simply couldn't find the net as much as he did the previous year, and that's pointing out the statistical obvious. 74 out of 100. Kirby Dock, 18 minutes, 34 seconds, 18 games played, 2 goals, 8 assists, 10 points, plus minus, minus 3. Returning from his wrist injury, Dock only saw 18 games played. When the teams were paying better attention to their defensive games, he did play top 6 minutes, and I put him here for a reason, and the move Chicago made didn't otherwise leave a roster player to put in the top 6. Yadmark probably better reflects the guy that would be best put into this top six spot, except he didn't finish the year with Chicago. I'm combining the two players' efforts for the team for Chicago's top six grade, but I'm not putting a grade either individually. Two things I will say about Doc's time on ice. It was 10 seconds shy of his postseason time on ice at over 18 and a half minutes. Also, in a small sample size, his face-off one percentage was close to seven percentage points better than his regular season mark from the year prior, and his time on ice was just over 14 minutes per game for the the previous regular season before the injury kept him out. He came back closer to playoff dock than regular season dock, and that's a good sign for Chicago. Overall, 76.2 out of 100 weighted. Chicago had two-thirds of a legitimate top line. You could say a partial second line after that. The team's issues definitely wasn't scoring goals, but it was a collective effort with a standout effort goal-wise by Debrinket. I waited heavy on the time on ice for Kane and Debrinket, while I really saw Chicago deploy more spread-out minutes through lines two through four. The final forward grades will better reflect the group as a whole as the traditional top six heavy, bottom six less impact time on ice actually doesn't apply to this year's Chicago team. It was a top line heavy, then evenly split with the personnel Chicago had available, and it was probably the best way to maximize the available forward group. Bottom six, Brandon Hagel, 13-59 time on ice, 52 games played, nine goals, 15 assists, 24 points, a plus minus minus seven. As far as rookie surprises, Hagel ranks highest as he wasn't even a guy expected as an everyday NHLer heading into camp for Chicago, possibly internally, but off the radar otherwise. Yet he played good enough to see almost the full slate of games and improve from start to finish just missing double digit goals while getting near half point per game production totals. At 22, he also should develop further. What he does project is a top nine caliber guy, probably not top six, but a true third line every day NHL player. Make no mistake, Hegel's play and Doc's return combined made moving Yanmark for picks possible at the deadline for Chicago, 67 out of 100. Philip Kurashev, 13.05, average time on ice, 54 games played, 8 goals, 8 assists, 16 points, a plus minus minus 9. Another rookie, Kurashev, did see top 6 center minutes at times. At 21, he is younger than Suter and probably has more upside for that reason. He did seem overwhelmed in the top 6 spot at times, but that's not saying it's not possible in time. He could be a top nine player at most as well, but I definitely think he has more than fourth line center duty as his cap point career-wise. Honestly, he would have been better with American Hockey League time playing top minutes for development with his skill set for a full year than to come up to the big club. 62 out of 100. 
David Kampf, 14 minutes, 40 seconds, average time on ice, 56 games played, one goal, 11 assists, 12 points, plus minus minus three. For the better part of the year, Kampf couldn't buy a goal while otherwise playing a solid two-way game and essentially doing what a good third-line center would, except for his low point production. Maybe he's just a good fourth-line center that doesn't cost a team goals against while playing minimal minutes, and you don't get offense from him. At 26 now, he is in his prime, so if he isn't producing more, he can't really have value as a third-line center for the team to have bottom six production. There wasn't a reason to take him out of the lineup for poor play, but his contribution was only his defensive game. In the absence of face-off win percentage team leader Taves, Comp at 52.8 did lead Chicago in that team metric, 60 out of 100. Ryan Carpenter, 12 minutes, 41 seconds average time on ice, 40 games played, four goals, one assist, five points, minus 10 plus minus. Carpenter is another reliable bottom six player for Chicago, and he did miss 16 games played to injury as the lone major drawback this past year. He, like Kampf, was quieter on his point production with four goals. That was a goal more than the season prior when he missed a regular season game and played 69 of the 70 Chicago played. He was more fourth line than third line in average time on ice, seeing over a minute decrease. But keep in mind, Chicago spread time on ice more evenly through lines two through four this past season. At 30 now, he is likely to be a fourth line guy or even a healthy scratch when he is fully healthy, 58 out of 100. Vinny Hinnestroza, 12 minutes, 16 seconds, average time on ice, 17 games played, 4 goals, 8 assists, 12 points, a plus 2, plus minus. Returning hometown, Hinnestroza at the deadline was an absolutely impactful player in his 17 games played. Pointless in Florida after a pair of seasons in Arizona, he had 12 points, 4 goals in his 17 back with Chicago. Especially notable was his compete level. Make no mistake, he is a bottom 6 player, but he was full value in the small sample size, like the However, I haven't graded him, but paired him with the departed Soderberg for a mark for the bottom six overall grade. Brett Connolly, 12 minutes, 9 seconds average time on ice, 10 games played, 1 goal, 1 assist, 2 points, a plus minus plus 1. The drawback of Connolly is his price tag and that at 29, he seems past the ability to play top 9, but simply a fourth line option like Carpenter, except at 3.9 million, you should have him playing in your top six because the salary comparables on the rosters is closer to Kubalik, not to Carpenter. In his 10 games played with Chicago, Connolly made you miss Soderberg after the separate deadline deals, and it's the other players Chicago picked up that made taking on Connolly's contract. He didn't play enough to be graded here, and that's a good thing. He played 31 games between Chicago and Florida last year for six points total. He is an expensive fourth liner, still under contract. Adam Gaudet, 11 minutes, seven seconds, average time on ice, seven games played, one goal, three assists, four points points plus minus minus two. Gaudet had almost half point per game production and double Connolly's in three less games played for Chicago after coming over for Matthew Highmore at the deadline from Vancouver. At 24, Vancouver looks to have offered him a change of scenery, giving up on a guy who had 26 and 30 goal seasons at the NCAA at Northeastern. His time on us totals include the 33 games played with Vancouver in a bottom six, essentially fourth line role. There is an untapped upside in Gaudet's game compared to Highmore. By comparison, Gaudet hasn't shown it ever either in his NHL time thus far. The bulk of the season in Vancouver is why he is also ungraded. Overall, 63.6 out of 100. The turnover essentially provided four of six bottom six graded Chicago players for the year. A soderberg Connolly combo. Grade will make up the fifth and then a Hinnestroza-Gaudet, Hardman, Entwistle, Johnson, and
the traded away Walmart will essentially be the 12th forward as a grade. Calling it a placeholder grade is a nice way to put it. The better way to say Chicago didn't have an actual playing 12 forward group set to grade and that's in keeping with a team in a rebuild that you don't expect to see make the playoffs. Injuries might explain that as well. In Chicago's case, using the NHL as a development league this past year is the other explanation. Ungraded forward depth, Matthias Janmark traded to Vegas. 41 games played, 10 goals, 9 assists, 19 points, a plus minus minus 17. Janmark fitted nicely in his time with Chicago and was a quality signing. GM Bowman grabbed a pair of picks, additionally moving him at the deadline. The double-digit goals, and had he stayed the year, I would have put him in Chicago's graded top six, as I mentioned earlier. He also saw prominent time on ice on the penalty kill unit. Top end forward depth was an issue for Chicago, especially at center, but Janmark was part of the stretch Chicago had with their wingers that was good. Carl Soderberg traded to Colorado, 34 games played, 7 goals, 8 assists, 15 points, plus minus minus 5. Soderberg was a positive bottom 6 player. He also was a good net front presence when given second unit power play time. He had more impact while playing for Chicago than he did after the trade that sent him to Colorado. For a team short of center ice men with experience, he was consistent in the bottom 6. Chicago wasn't as good as a forward group after his departure. He is a piece of the reason why it wasn't. From a vet fourth line center role, he provided that. He didn't go above the expectations, but he didn't fall below them in his short time with Chicago. Mike Hartman, eight games played, one goal, two assists, three points, plus minus zero. Hartman was a noticeable positive in his brief appearances, netting his first NHL goal like many Chicago rookies did. He has size and plays with it, and at 22, he's still developing. The big thing with any young player becoming an NHL regular is playing with consistency every night. As of now, he is an option as an energy fourth line player that may develop more. McKenzie Entwistle, 9 minutes, 49 seconds average time on ice, 5 games played, 1 goal, 1 assist, 2 points, plus minus plus 1. There is more in the toolbox of prospect Entwistle as his third round draft selection tells you. He also had a taste, picked up his first NHL goal, and at 21 shouldn't be playing bottom 6 minutes on an NHL team for his development, but playing top minutes at the American Hockey League level instead. Why we saw him play 5 games at under 10 minutes average time on ice at all this year just lends credence to how Chicago had an overall development approach with their NHL team this season. Reese Johnson, 7 minutes 57 seconds time on ice, 5 games played, no points, plus minus minus 2. Johnson isn't in the top prospect category like Entwistle. Still he has size and like Entwistle, why Chicago had him play 5 NHL games this year is worth asking more than grading a 22-year-old developing player that respectfully to him is still two years at the earliest to competing for an everyday NHL bottom six role that he projects out at. Lucas Walmart traded to Florida, 16 games played, zero goals, three assists, three points, plus minus minus two. Walmart started the year essentially as a third liner with PK responsibilities. That one of his 16 games played is what I remember him being most of value for. He was injured and then he couldn't get himself back into this open to audition roster and was moved back to Florida at the deadline after being a healthy scratch for some time. If there was a falling out, say between coach and player, and I don't know there was to be clear, I do know that Walmart was so under the radar no one bothered to look into it. His less than inspiring play may be all there was to it. For 
forward group overall, 69.1 out of 100 weighted, even with the dynamic duel of Keenan Debrinkit playing a starring role. This is a case of the sum not equaling the parts, even given a third the total as 20 plus minute per game time on ice essentially warrants in the analysis. The reason is Chicago otherwise was a roster of essentially three third lines in lines two through four. Not quite a true top six, nor really a drop off, especially in the 12 who played all in all. It wasn't a total group of 12, and that takes it out of the cup contender group to a bubble playoff team, and then the AHL caliber goalie put them to a non-playoff team once you add the group altogether. I'm not sure how many more Kane and Debrinkit-like campaigns of the forwards would have compensated for the goals allowed. Just know it was well short of it. Injuries play into it, but I will never think it replaces NHL-level goaltending being required. Overall team player grade 62.9 out of 100. Final thought, Chicago's the second team of the eight in the 2021 season reviews for the teams that make up the Central Division that Arizona joins this season. I will continue this season reviews next with Dallas. In addition to the team-focused year-end podcast, there will be complimentary team-focused podcasts, the free agency Chicago team podcast. Each team in the Central Division will have one that looks at the players we just graded who are potentially unrestricted free agents, restricted free agents, or potentially traded if they haven't been before we even get to free agency, Duncan Keith and Seth Jones in separate deals, for example. You have to think of the year-end podcast as a roster look at the year that was, the basis for Central Division Hockey, the podcast opinion for each team for the expansion draft, the NHL entry draft, and free agency are based to follow off the team reviews for each one. I will build off from this point. That's why, while trades have occurred for some teams, that will be included in the next podcast for each team. Those are are essentially the start of next year's changes already in progress. Remember, this podcast goes in depth for eight teams, not one. to follow the instructions we were made to make our own to always measure twice and never cut corners unless of course we've got a compound miter saw northern tool and equipment is a problem solvers paradise there's nothing we can't find fix or figure out together we're made for this start solving your projects today at northerntool.com how would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? 
The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now. Only at Bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at Bartesian.com slash holiday.